We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Who's down for some wings? We can have it with ranch or without ranch. Taylor Swift style. Definitely blue cheese. But <laughs> moving on to wings. Uh, before we do that, quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, subscribe, review, give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But Jack, looking at this group, returning players, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, new additions, Darius Baisley, Jalen Wilson. And as we've mentioned on previous episodes, we put Ben Simmons with the guards and we put Trendon Watford with the bigs. So, and Darius Whitehead with the guards. I think some people might say he's a wing as well, but I think this is a group that in our head is going to be the the, the core of the wing position for the Nets. Yeah, no doubt. Dariq Whitehead and other guys will mix and match here and there. Maybe Dorian Finney-Smith, which you're chucking at the five given the, the stats yep. and the, that we saw from last season that I threw out on Twitter. But yeah, in saying that, this is the call we're looking at. And again, we deep dived into all of those players that you did mention on our guards and our bigs episode. So those are there for you guys in the waiting, in the lead up to, to media day and the preseason games. Yeah, and that's it, Jack. I guess looking at the new additions, obviously two guys we're going to really talk about, Darius Baisley, Jalen Wilson. Just give me your thoughts on those two and what they'll add to this group. Yeah, look, Jalen Wilson, we got the obviously a big sample size of, of him at college, but a, a pretty solid sample size of him at Summer League as well. He was sort of the the go-to, the Cam Thomas of for the Nets at Summer League, and he showed a lot like in terms of just... We spoke about a lot on previous episodes about dynamic dynamism in terms of their game, all-round sort of game. Jalen Wilson showed that quite a bit. He may lack athleticism traditionally, but the guy's a hooper. He can rebound the basketball. He can score. He can shoot the three ball. He did a lot of everything when it came to what we saw at Summer League. And I think that that's going to bode well for him coming into the season. A lot of people, a lot of Nets fans, a lot of other fans think that he's got a decent sh- chance of cracking the rotation, especially if what is likely Royce and or DFS are uh, traded away to an opposing team. When it comes to Darius Baisley, we didn't get a heap of sample size from him because he showed a little bit in OKC, showed even less in Phoenix. And some people in Phoenix and Phoenix fans, you know, reading up on some of the season reviews from him, wanted to see a little bit more from him, wish he got a little bit more of a run. But what we do know of him is that the guy's a hell of an athlete. Like he could buy some small ball five. You know, we speak about Trent and Watford in the bigs position. You know, we were tweeting and throwing, should we put Baisley in the bigs position? But 
He has heaps of athleticism, six eight, you know, really solid wingspan, I think above seven foot. So I think that his athleticism, his ability to get into the open court uh, is going to be a big part and fit in well into the Nets' identity of sort of, you know, mid-age guys have got a little bit something to prove. You know, chip on their shoulders. Good chip on their shoulders, good sort of physical tools. So I'm excited to see what he can bring there is. This is the crux of the team, Nick. This is where a heap of the talent is. This is where the the points are going to get made. This is where a, a lot is going to happen. And we will be doing an individual episode on Mikael Bridges because we've got to do give our boy Brooklyn Bridges uh, his own love. But there's still so much to dive into with Baisley Wilson and our returning guys. Yeah, definitely. And just quickly mentioning something on Baisley and Wilson. Baisley, I think, has the defensive tools to be a really good defender and then showed flashes of really being impactful on that end. It's really just the offense coming around in that three-point shot. And Jalen Wilson, you mentioned one reason that he could see minutes instantly is because he's a good rebounder and the Nets don't necessarily have many of those on this team. And he just showed the ability to do a lot of the small things. Yes. He took on a bigger scoring load in summer league, but it was within the flow of the offense. You never really felt like he was getting too crazy. And I think his overall physical strength and body really should allow him to translate well to the NBA early on. But Jack, looking back at last year, give me a a quick review of this group. Yeah, I think that they were, critical to what the Nets were doing in terms of on the defensive end of the floor and the three-point shooting. You know, Cam Johnson showed some good growth. Um, he was doing a little bit more than what he showed in Phoenix. DFS was asked to do a lot despite the the ailments that he was undergoing and the, the, the shooting that was a little bit subpar from him. Royce O'Neal has been, you know, the quote-unquote glue guy, you know, in terms of what the Nets have been all about. He did quite a bit in terms of a little bit of playmaking here and there. He was sort of you know, a Jalen Wilson version of a, a steady sort of player. Obviously, he doesn't really have the size that Jalen Wilson has. Has a bit more athleticism uh, to him. But Royce O'Neal was you know, hot and cold when it came to his three-point shooting. I think the same could be said for DFS. Cam was solid enough. He eventually got there, but he started off a little bit slow. So the, these guys with their three-point shooting prowess, you know, maybe not statistically, but at least by reputation provided so much there and defensively as well, especially when it came to DFS and Royce, there were huge defensive responsibilities on them and Cam showed quite a bit too in that department. Yeah, I think you look at last year, kind of it reminds me of the guard slightly just because there was such a big switch in the position midway through the season. Obviously, you're trading away Kevin Durant, but you're getting really deep at the position after the deadline with Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Dorian Finney-Smith already having Royce O'Neal there. Obviously, Mikel took that giant jump. You mentioned Cam really showed improvement. I think during the postseason, we saw his biggest flashes. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith, not necessarily amazing, but still had some really nice moments. And I was impressed with Royce O'Neal in the way that he responded to a new role post-trade deadline. You know, you looked at him facilitating a little bit more and just kind of coming off the bench and understanding like, hey, my spot in this team's a little different. I can pout about it or I can embrace it. And he really embraced it. You know, it stinks that his postseason didn't necessarily go well offensively, but in terms of helping the Nets get to the playoffs, I thought Royce played a, a low-key big role. Yeah, the three-point shooting in the playoffs, 18 18- percent for Royce and it didn't leave much to write home about but when it came to Cam Johnson you know it's sort of really increased you know the three-point shooting was only 43 percent on seven attempts he was shooting he nearly had 19 points nearly three assists six rebounds so when we get into statistics and we've said a lot about this and if you want 
you know, some even more analysis and more context to what we're speaking about today. Go back to the Cam Johnson signing episode where he got the extension. Yeah. We sort of dived really deep into Cam Johnson, what he could become. We'll obviously provide some even more context now with some time looking at Team USA, the offseason, looking forward and such. But there was a lot of talk about Cam Johnson there. And yeah, with Dorian Finney-Smith, I just think that he was asked to do so much and he was just so durable. I think his three-point shooting was the one thing that was a, a little bit disappointing in Brooklyn. But in saying that, you know, it, it I think a lot of it partly may, I'll go with a, a significant chunk of it because this guy's always been a, 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 an above average three-point shoot on, on decent enough volume. I think that the, uh, was it finger or wrist? It was something. Yeah, to, it was a that, finger. It was like a, it wasn't initially when he first got there. It was a little later in the stint. Um, but yeah, he had, I think he ended up having like a broken finger, wore a splint on it for the rest of the season. Yeah, so I think that certainly affected him because, you know, in his stint in Brooklyn, he shot, you know, barely 31%, whereas um, other than that, since 1920 in Dallas, he's been 37% or or above. So I think that's where... And I think some of it too is just like you get traded to a new team, you have two bad games in a row three-point shooting-wise, and I feel like it gets in your head a little bit with the transition because we've seen the opposite thing happen. You know, someone signs with a new team, hits their first five threes, and all of a sudden they're scorching hot for the next month. Yeah, it can sort of like Josh Hart, I think, sort of did that with the Knicks, and then he sort yeah. of really tapered off. So I think that it, it'll be interesting to see how DFS enters the season with these three-point shooting. I think when it comes to questions, it'll be something that we discuss. When it comes to strengths and weaknesses, it'll be something that we discuss. But yeah, I think the returning players, you know, if if and or when you know DFS or Royce are are heading out, until that point arrives, they all of these guys, probably especially the returning guys, are gonna play an integral role to what to what the nets do on both sides of the floor we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Jack, looking at last year, call this group a success or disappointment? Yeah, I'd go with success because they there was just such a large responsibility for what these guys did defensively and when it came to Cam Johnson offensively. I think that there was inconsistencies in the role players. And even from Cam himself, his three-point shooting took a little bit of time to sort of get himself going, but I would call it a success. Maybe not a resounding success, but successful nonetheless. Yeah, I would say it's a pretty big success given what happened with Mikel Bridges and giving you a true building block moving forward. You know, we don't think he can be the best player in a championship team, maybe not even the second best, but at a guarantee to be the third best and really just shown some massive improvement in Cam Johnson with the flash in the playoffs kind of excites you. And then just understanding the other guys too played well enough where there were offers for other draft picks out there too. So I think overall pretty happy with the position group and hopefully you kind of continue to see that success. Now going to the season, Jack, looking at this group, what are their strengths? Yeah, look, I've listed a couple of things. I think some of them might not be statistically as back up my evidence or well, back it's up a new my season, so everything could change everything could change i'm going based off what i believe the eye test and, and maybe a little bit of statistical analysis but i think three-point shooting is a strength i think defense yep. is a strength i think athleticism is a strength i think depth and i think that all these guys are decent rebounders i you know we've spoke about quite significantly on the bigs episode when it came to the nets rebounding but I think all these guys are good enough rebounders when it comes to at their positions. You know, obviously DFS maybe when he's playing the five isn't going to be, you know, your best rebounder in the world. But when he's at the three and the four, I think he's good enough. You know, all these guys can get four to six rebounds. You know, Jalen Wilson, you know, put up like eight rebounds, five rebounds, nine rebounds here or there in summer league too. So I think above average, I wouldn't it might not call it the biggest strength in the world, but I think all of these guys are pretty good rebounders. They check the box. And I think when you're looking at a team that has such shortcomings in the rebounding department, when a guy is just okay to solid, you know, you might call it more of a strength compared to the rest of the team. I think definitely, you know, Royce O'Neal and Jalen Wilson are two guys that are above average rebounders. I think Dorian Finney-Smith is okay for his position. Same thing with McCall and Cam Johnson. I think they all have tools to probably be better given, like you'd mentioned, you know, the versatility and the length of this group. I think just great wingspans across the board, you, you know, good three-point shooting, great defense, as you said. And I think where you look more at the weaknesses, I think you start to think about some of the on-ball creation, you know, breaking down some of the defenders in front of you and maybe the lack of rim pressure from this group in terms of weaknesses. Yeah, offensive versatility, playmaking, two-point shooting. You know, I think Cam certainly grew there, but, you know. Mikel did too, I think. Mikel certainly did, and we'll be diving deep into Mikel in, in a future episode. But, you know, there were points where you know, there was just lack of creativity. And, you know, I think Royce O'Neal is, when I say playmaking, I can maybe take him out because he averaged 3.5 assists last season. And I think that he was asked it to It was do kind of more, though, off like I'm... the secondary actions rather than him breaking someone down on his own. He occasionally ran pick and roll, but I feel like it, it still kind of fits given that it's not like you're expecting Royce O'Neal to cross up his defender ISO and get to the rim or something like that. No, absolutely not. And I think that's, you know, Cam Johnson, I think when you sort of speak about mm. pressure, Nick is someone that I'm going to be, that it could be an area of improvement when we get to that. There's something that I'll be looking specifically for him. I think DFS and Royce are who they are, but I think Cam, despite 
being 27, 28, you're heading into, let me check his age. He's in, he's heading to his age 27 season next year. I still think has growth because he's only played three seasons in the NBA or yeah, three or four seasons in the NBA. So I think that it'll be in, intriguing to see what he grows in that end because we saw the rim pressure on Joel Embiid a, a, yeah. a couple of times. So I think that he's got that in his bag and I think that he's got a bit more offensive fluidity than DFS and Royce do. I think Royce does have a little bit and I think that he is maybe a bit more dynamic than I'm giving him credit for. I think DFS is your typical 3 and D sort of guy. 3 and D maybe a little bit more, but I don't think he has that much more to his game. No, Whereas I think that's speak- like almost a perfect fit for Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah, exactly. I think Jalen Wilson is something that is just, you know, there's obviously, we don't know what he can be at the NBA level. We saw it at the summer league, but when we spoke about offensive dynamism, he showed a little bit. He just, yeah. I think lacks the athleticism that we alluded to in our strengths. And that's what I guess Darius Baisley makes up for with in space, but Darius Baisley doesn't necessarily have you know, the three-point shooting that Jalen Wilson has shown. Doesn't really probably have the, the the solid offensive game, the more well-rounded offensive game. So I think that a lot of these guys have their individual strengths, but collectively, I think that there is you know some holes. Yeah, for sure. I think there definitely is some holes. And I think even Mikel probably could get better with room pressure. I think if he kind of builds off the rest of his game, which we'll talk about in a you know, solo episode, I think Darius Baisley has the athletic tools to provide more rim pressure and get downhill. It's kind of just like his skill is still very raw, even though he has multiple years in the NBA. You know, he's a guy that skipped college, took like a year off. I think he had like an internship with New Balance and just never really seems like he fully developed. So I think there's something untapped with there with him there. It'll be interesting kind of see where they can improve. But I guess, Jack, what's the biggest area that you think they need to improve? If you had to pick one single thing you want to see them be better at this year. Uh, just before we do, Nick, the Darius yeah. Baisley thing is something I'm interested about because just looking through and, and researching him, you know, in 2020, 2021, in his sophomore season, he averaged 3.2 three throw attempts a day a game yep. on and shot over 70% on that. If he can get anywhere near that, and you know, the season after that, it was about two and a half, that's like leading in the guys that we're speaking about because, you know, Royce O'Neill hasn't averaged over one ever other than once or twice in his career dfs belly gets to the line and cam johnson is starting to improve that marker but maybe that's why a, a way that darius Baisley, you know in the open court just attack the rim relentlessly and if you're not going to get the shots then uh, hit the shot then you know get the get to the free throw line so that's one area where i think he can make his 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 presence felt in comparison to his compatriots yeah I agree. I think he does. He just has the tools to do that. It's just kind of a matter of putting it all together. Definitely. And, and I think in terms of areas of improvement, Nick, I think offensive consistency, you know, mm. I think is just the area, you know, we spoke about three-point shooting being a strength, but when you look at the numbers for Royston on the playoffs, DFS, you know, shooting less than 31%, it was basically Cam Johnson. And then those guys would have some hot and cold nights. It'd be Katy Perry. Royce would go six of eight, and then he'd go zero of eleven. DFS would go five of seven, and then would go zero of four. You know, I think Jalen Wilson's consistency in summer league is something that was pretty positive uh, to look at. But I think the general offensive versatility of this group is something that I think. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need that from every single group. You know, if you've got a bit more offensive versatility in your guards, which then it's kind of do when you've got Spencer, Ben, and Cam, all those guys have decent enough offensive gains. And I guess that these wings make up for it in at least reputationally with their three-point shooting. The balance across the team is a little bit better, but I think defense is fine. I think it's just about the offensive 
tools in general and the bag in general that isn't as great as maybe some of the other positions. Yeah, I think you look at this group, and this kind of is getting into our next topic a little bit, but, you know, four of the the top eight players in this team probably are in this group, you know, talking about Mikel, Cam, Royce, and DFS, and guys that are going to be in the rotation. There's even a chance, you know, Jalen Wilson or Darius Baisley could squeeze in there. So they're playing a large chunk of minutes, so I think it's important for them to improve, like you mentioned, the consistency, but also their ability to create offensively, especially if they're taking minutes away from the guards or the guards are a little bit more limited in what they do, you know, especially if, you know, the guys aren't playing super well. And we we kind of talked about on the guard. There is talent in the guard position, but there's also a lot of question marks with pretty much everyone in that group with Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, I think that Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith are, are big wings. Royce yep. O'Neal is a smaller wing, and you could make an argument for him that he's closer to a two than he is to a four, even though... I think his strength and, and sturdiness and low center of gravity and you know, his ability to, to guard up positions defensively, he's probably bigger. But offensively, you know, it, it'll be interesting to sort of see, is he the sixth man or is it, you know, Cam Thomas? You know, I, th- I think that it'll be, I, we can already, I can already envision, maybe you can as well, nights where we're like, why is Royce getting these minutes where he's not hitting any three balls, he's not doing anything defensively, and Cam's getting relegated to 10 to 12 minutes and Royce is getting 30 plus because, you know, Jacques Vaughn just has the Evil Eves and the Vets, sort of like Steve Nash used to and, and stuff. So I think that the the roles, and we'll, we'll obviously be discussing that in, in a little bit, will be intriguing. I think Cam's is set in, uh, Cam Jay's is set in stone. DFS is is as close to set in stone, but you can roll the dice for maybe a Royce, a Baisley, as well as Wilson too. Yeah, and um, obviously there's still the possibility of a trade happening before training camp or before the season starts. You know, obviously the Dame Lillard thing, which we're not going to jump into much in this episode, maybe a future episode, see how that all kind of plays out. The Nets could get involved, you know, being a facilitator in that trade and maybe getting Tyler hero, or maybe even just sending out another piece and landing a first round pick. Like, I think there's more than one Avenue to be involved in that trade. Yeah. Nick, I guess I'll ask you because you sort of brought it up there. Do you think, would you be upset or if you're Sean Mark, you know, I've, I've given you the keys to the front office and you can do what you want. Do you think that one of Royce or DFS does need to go to allow, I get a, I guess, more opportunities for the likes of Jalen Wilson, Cam Thomas, because while there is depth, there isn't necessarily the highest quality of depth. It's sort of like the Nets last year. We saw them sort of mix and match and sort of just go with guys that were just like, well, really, why are we giving Patty minutes, Seth minutes, when we want to sort of just showcase maybe some some younger talent out there? You're sure, Marks. Do you trade one of these guys or both of these guys? Is that essential? Or could you see the season playing out and Royce and DFS playing uh, in a Nets uniform come 24-25? Yeah, I think it's very likely one of them is moved. I think both you and I thought one would be moved on draft night, given all the hype around and all the interest around the league. I think there's going to be a team that thinks they're really close and they're all wing shy, you know, and the Nets could land another pick that they could use in the summer to potentially land a star to add to this team. Or they could be part of a bigger trade where the Nets land a star at the deadline. So I think Royce's expiring contracts attractive in more than one way, given you know how he can fit on so many different teams and the experience he has. He's also a likable guy in this league. DFS is very valued, and if he you know shoots the three ball well for the first half of the season, his value is up a little bit more. He's on a good contract. 
I think it's just the right move. Unless for some reason the Nets are balling out, they're like a top four seed and they feel really good about where they're at, which is probably unlikely. So and even in that scenario, you still might consider moving one of these guys because you just have so many for the limited amount of minutes. And when it comes playoff time, you don't necessarily need you know, four guys to fill two positions. You know, obviously the safe bet is if you deal with an injury, but the Nets aren't necessarily in that contending spot right now. So moving one for an asset makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially when, you know, DFS played such a large amount of his time at the five. You know, obviously, you know, the B-ball reference shows different things here or there. But now that the Nets have, you know, whether Trendon Watford is a better option, whether Harry Giles is a better option, whether Darren Sharp is a better option than DFS remains to be seen. But I think that the Nets were really close to it because we basically heard it. The Nets want a decent enough first rounder for one of these guys. Yep. Come February, I think whether it's a Miami, whether it's a Milwaukee, whether it's a Boston, whether it's whoever else who has assets here or there, Dallas, you know, everything. But some of those teams only have seconds. I think, you know, Zach Lowe has brought up the fact that if, you know, Doreen Finney-Smith could be given up for, you know, one of those first rounders via Milwaukee, a 2029 one. That is something that is incredibly intriguing and allows the Nets to get an extra asset if they were to get in the market for Giannis himself or someone more likely like a Donovan Mitchell. And that's why part of me thinks, and this might be gone too galaxy-brained about it, is that Royce might be more likely to stick around if Donovan Mitchell were to stay, because those guys have such a close relationship, you know, they still loves him too. I think Marks does. I think an extension is not out of the realm of possibility. I think the only thing that makes me second that second guess that is there is like some rumblings about his guarantee date this year and the nets cutting him and guaranteeing his contract. Not that it seemed likely, but it just was something that was kind of mentioned out in the ether. Yeah. So look, I think both of those guys, We've already discussed their status within the team and 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 where they could be looking forward. We've done that on a, a lot of previous episodes, but that will certainly be you know one of the big questions that we'll be looking at with those two, as well as the the wings overall. I I certainly want it to happen. I don't. We've made our points before about it. Should it be DFS? Should it be Royce? Etc. You know, it's about the package you get in return. It's about the role. Blah 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 blah. But I think I want to see one of them move, not for because I think also they can provide more for an opposing team than one they can probably provide currently for the Brooklyn Nets. I think that, you know, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's Memphis or, or whoever else, those guys are going to, those teams are going to be looking to give something out, excuse me, something out in return. And I think that getting, offloading a, a Royce and or a DFS uh, would benefit the Nets, you know, one way or another. Yeah. And this kind of leads into our next segment, Jack, the roles on this team. And obviously I think we both agree. Mikel Bridges is a starter and also the lead guy in this team. And Cam Johnson's also a starter and is going to play a pretty significant role offensively. You know, you could argue that maybe he's like the third, third option. You know, you're looking at Mikel Spencer and him, and maybe he surpasses Spencer or somebody else steps in there too. But where do you kind of see DFS and Royce fitting in in terms of just how you envision them? I know you've kind of mentioned it over the different possibilities, but what do you think is actually going to happen in the season with those two? Yeah, look, I think it would be unlikely that if Royce were to start, you know, because we we saw that and to, to end the season, his, his minutes didn't necessarily dip a heap because you, you sort of, I'm looking through the last sort of 10 to 15 games, you know, the, in those previous sort of games, he played 27 minutes, 37, 35, 19, 32, 26. And a lot of that was predicated on some of his three-point shooting. Yeah, and then in, in the postseason as well, 24, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35, 28. So I think 
Royce is going to get a decent amount of time because of you know his character, his locker room presence, his ability to to do a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. Dorian Finney-Smith, I think, you know, he played 28 minutes uh, in Brooklyn. It's actually surprising that I think he, he played less uh, than Royce, but, you know, average minutes, as you've alluded to on previous episodes, can be a little bit misleading. So I think because DFS might not play those the hefty minutes at the five, maybe that lessens his minutes as well. I think that Cam Johnson played, you know, around 31 minutes, uh, according to basketball reference last season. I think that number will stay the same. I think it could be any... 30 to 33, I think, is likely for Cam Johnson. And because if the Nets are going to be asking him to be a second, to be sort of option on offense, he needs to play 30-plus minutes. And I think that's almost a guarantee. DFS and Royce, you know, you could make an argument that they could be anywhere from 22 to 32. Yeah. It's tough. I think I actually might put Cam Johnson. I think the Nets invested in him, and I wouldn't be surprised if he saw like upward of 33, like 33, 34, especially if they're kind of letting him cook a little bit and see what he has. I think also depends on the season. But Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal is really interesting. I think Dorian Finney-Smith will end up probably getting a little bit more just because of his ability to play the five. You know, where Royce is competing now with multiple guys. And as we kind of talked about a little bit on the guards episode, does Vaughn elect to play more guard heavy lineups given, you know, some of the offensive firepower there? And, you know, if, you know, let's say Ben's playing well and Clax is playing well and those two can cover up for some of the misgivings of, you know, the guards and their defensive ability. Now, all of a sudden that kind of changes the rotation a little bit. So it's going to be kind of based off of how some of these question marks play and, does Vaughn let some of these guys play through mistakes or does he just go to the guys that he knows and feels comfortable with? And that's Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. You know, he's a guy that seemed to rely on vets and guys that he had relationships in the past. Is that going to make it hard for some of these younger guys to really get into the rotation, especially, you know, even a Jalen Wilson? Yeah, I, I certainly hope that that's not the case, but you know, as I've alluded to, I can already predict myself getting angry about the lack of Cam Thomas minutes in the future, whether it's well, who, who who's to blame, whether it's Spencer Dewey getting 35, Royce O'Neal getting 32 or whatever. But you alluded to Cam Johnson, Nick. I wanted to piggyback on your thoughts a little bit. When you look at the postseason, and other than game one, he's when the Nets got blown out, his minutes were as follows, 41, 44, and 40. So yeah. the responsibility was there for him. I think that you know Cam and... And Mikhail, the twins, are going to be playing a big role for the Nets on on both ends of the floor. Mikhail probably even more so, which is why we're going to really dive deep into him into an individual episode. But yeah, the the DFS and Royce stuff, it's almost like Seth and Patty. Like one of these yeah. guys, I just want them to get traded for the sake of Jalen the Wilson. development. <laughs> yeah, for the sake of Jalen Wilson, for the sake of Cam Thompson, for the sake of the team you know, and the team development, because I don't want... As much as I think that Royce O'Neal and DFS are better players than Jalen Wilson, you know they just are right now. They're proven NBA players, proven rotation players. Jalen Wilson hasn't done that, and they're better than Cam Thomas. You know, I think Cam Thomas has much greater talent offensively, but in terms of contributions on both ends of the floor and just steadiness and NBA role players, both of these guys have proven that they're better players. But Cam Thomas's upside and potential yep. alongside Jalen Wilson, Jalen Wilson, I think, doesn't have as high a ceiling by any means. I think he's much more steadying presence. But, I but think for the just, Nets' long-term goals, he still makes more sense because if he pans out and he becomes even the same level player of Royce O'Neal or Dorian Finney-Smith, he's at a younger age and under you know contract control, and now all of a sudden the Nets you know have this guy for the next five years or something. 
Yeah, and look, he can look to to Cam Johnson to how to sort of make his turn his career into something really, really solid as an older guy coming out of college. You know, he despite being the the fifty first pick, you know, he's shown quite a bit. Good basketball IQ. I think that he's gonna make an impact. And it's it's funny that you know when we spoke about Noah Clowning Derek Whitehead, you know, we've probably given more time to to Jalen Wilson than yeah. any on any of our preview pods so far. And that's because he's probably the most likely to be NBA ready. Now his ceiling is probably I would say Cam Johnson. I think at the highest. I don't think it's gonna get that high, but I think he's got a a, a good game to him. I think he can certainly contribute. And I think what he was able to show at college. And again, listen to those draft episodes if you want to get even more context to it. And at Summer League, just showed what he can contribute because he can do things here and there. He can he might not be an elite three-point shooter, an elite rebounder, an elite playmaker, an elite scorer, but he's good at a lot of things. And I think being good at a lot of things, just being a basketball player, guy that has a diversity to his skill set, is, is good in the NBA because, you know, yep. I think... It sort of gets under the radar or it's just like, oh, we need to play big, big small ball or small ball and play DFS to five and stuff. It's like, I think skill ball and I think a lot of people smarter than you and I, or smarter than me especially, um, is the number one thing, you know? And I think Jalen Wilson has a lot of skill. Yeah. And I think it just, it's really helpful when it comes to team building, where you have a guy that can check a lot of boxes and sometimes it makes it easier to cover up for other things. When a guy can do a little bit of everything, you know, similar to a race O'Neill that can kind of step up in areas. You mentioned the playmaking before the Nets didn't have a backup point guard for pretty much the entire season last year. And he was able to kind of fill in those minutes. Sometimes it wasn't super great, but in a pinch where let's say someone's out for 10 games with a sprained ankle, you feel a little bit better when you have a guy with a versatile skill set. And, you know, Jalen Wilson still has to play real NBA minutes to know where exactly he's going to be, but there was some promising stuff in summer league. Yeah. It's sort of like we compared, I'm just comparing in my head to sort of what Kessler Edwards showed yeah. for the next in, in seasons past. And I think Jalen Wilson's a more complete offensive player than Kessler Edwards. I think Kessler Edwards fits the prototype of, of that small ball, three and D sort of player that more athletic sorry, pop. much more athletic pop, but just doesn't have the basketball IQ, just isn't a hooper, which is what I sort of see in Jalen Wilson. It's just guys who just know what to do. Yep. They will get the rebound at the right time. They'll make the right pass. They'll hit the three ball when it matters. Whereas Kessler Edwards, as much as I loved him and you know, we were all big fans of the Kess Express. I didn't didn't think had the the headiness, the basketball IQ that I think a Jalen Wilson does have, which is what's, I guess, a bit more tantalizing uh, to be analyzing him and forecasting what he could be in this Nets team. Yeah, especially because he lacks like great athleticism. So that's always kind of hard to predict because like you said, he's just kind of a hooper where Kessler was like the opposite. He had the tools, but he just had no feel for the game and like looked uncomfortable with the ball and dribbling at times. But Enough about Kessler Edwards, no longer on the net, Sacramento Kings. Hopefully things work out for him. Jack, looking at stats for these guys, who do you want to start with? Look, I'll go Cam Johnson because it's the easiest one, Nick. Yeah, We sort of spoke about, again, on that Cam Johnson signing episode, the numbers that we expect and and want from him is what he showed in in the postseason. So I'll give those postseason numbers again for those who might not have listened to that episode. He shot nearly 51% from the field on 14 attempts. Maybe those 14 attempts aren't at that level, but 10 plus is what I expect to see. Seven three-point attempts, that's what I like. I like that volume and I like that three-point percentage as well, nearly 43%. Um, He shot 
it, when it came to getting to the line, you know, not amazingly, you know, but did get there two to a, a little bit less than two times. Uh, six, nearly six rebounds, nearly three assists, nearly 0.8 steals. Uh, sorry, 0.8 steals and, and nearly 19 points. So if you're giving me 19, six and three from Cam Johnson next season, I'll be pretty bloody happy. And if it's on decent efficiency, I'll be even happier. Yeah, I think uh, the three-point shooting is going to be huge. Like you mentioned, the seven three-point attempts, I'd love for that number to stay consistent given the Nets roster too and, you know, his ability to knock down shots from three. Even if the field goal percentage drops, you know, I think it's fine as long as he shoots like above 46%. And even if you give me like 17, six, and three, I'd be pretty happy because that's that's improvement and it's impacting the game in multiple areas. And I think, you know, he could end up seeing maybe a little bit more attention this year, given, you know, the Nets roster. And, you know, if I was facing them, I'd kind of want other guys to beat me. Yeah, no doubt. So I think we're pretty in line for Cam. Now getting to Royce and DFS, it gets uh, substantially more complicated. Yeah, look, I think the number one thing that I want to focus on isn't necessarily like points and and stuff. I want to look at sort of the rebounds. You know, Royce Mm -hmm. and he'll average... 5.1 5.1 rebounds last season. You know, his career high is 6.8. You know, I think if that number stays at five to seven is is something I'll be happy with. And a three-point shooting. You know, his yeah. two-point shooting was pitiful last season, you know, under 39%. His three-point shooting was better than his actual field goal percentage, which is saying something, where he shot nearly 39% on 5.5 attempts. If that can stay consistent, but you know, be actually more two of five from three or or one of three from three rather than oh of six and then eight of ten like it's more whilst it is like thinking about these stats Nick. it's like i want that just to be some steady in stats some steadying stats man that's a tongue twister from from both royce and dfs you know dfs nearly five rebounds as well he's three point shooting something i want to get back up to like that sort of 37 range on on five attempts which i certainly think that he can and you know the the rebounding staying at around five. So both these guys can average eight points or whatever, but the rebounding and, and, and efficiency and consistency in offensive output is something that I'm looking for a bit more. Yeah. I think for Royce, we talked about a lot last year. It was just either he was having a really good game from three or he's absolutely terrible. And some of those games literally dictated the nets won or lost because teams were willing to live by live or die by Royce O'Neal three, especially he was having one of those off games. You know, and there was games where he hit four threes, five threes. Then there's a handful of games where it felt like he couldn't, you know, hit the backboard. You know, it was so bad. So like you said, a level of consistency, just a little bit steadier there. Hopefully the shots get, you know, better in terms of his diet, less two-point shots, because like you mentioned, they were pretty pitiful last year. And Dorian Finney-Smith kind of hopefully getting to his averages. I think as we get closer to the season, it'll be easier to kind of make a prediction. We get a better idea how many minutes these guys are playing. But both guys probably average under 10 points and you're really more worried about the dirty work and the rebounding and the defense that they provide. Yeah. The, the things that don't show up on the box score is what you'll probably look for a lot more from these guys, as well as those at that three point shooting. But Nick, any other final things before I guess we rank where this this collective our wings rank rank on, uh, on the team in comparison to, to the bigs and the guards. Not really. I think we pretty much covered it. And I think we've answered that question by, you know, ranking the other two groups already. And I think this one's clearly the best positional group on the nets, you know, obviously has the best player in the team, Mikel Bridges, you know, arguably the third or fourth best player in Cam Johnson. And that's already better than every other group without getting into the depth that they have. No added thoughts from me, (laughs) but uh, anything else, Jack, before we get out of here? 
No, I'm, I'm just intrigued to see, you know, Baisley, if he can give a little bit of that rebounding pop and Jalen Wilson, you know, I think his role will be predicated on how long Royce or D, Royce and or DFS will be in Brooklyn, semi-long-term, medium-term, short-term, whatever it is. So It's yeah, also it, interesting, as... Jalen Wilson and Darius Baisley and the differences in their skill sets and the potential, you know, obviously Baisley still has to make the team and how they're just so different in what they can provide the Nets. Yeah, it's sort of like they're the Lonnie Walker and Dennis Smith Jr. of the yeah. wings. Yeah, that's actually a great comparison. But that wraps it up, Jack. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.